Welcome to Machine Learning. The, um, this week has been very busy. I've been very busy working in Flutter again. And uh, um, I originally tried to get things to work with Inherit Widget. And uh, I did get a project working that way. But then I read... Uh, from the complete reference guide on Flutter programming, or Flutter, the complete reference guide. I, I read uh, that uh, they were saying, no, don't use uh, don't use the inherit widget, use the providers, um, the provider widget. It's a lot simpler, and uh, doesn't mess up your, um, um, your advance, and I, I agree with that statement because I was having a problem initializing in my init state, uh, init state, and uh, so what I did was I uh, I used uh, a provider to access my APIs, my RESTful APIs, and then it was everything started to to work real well. And that reduced down my complexity significantly. I only had one line of code, and uh, once I I wrapped uh, I wrapped my material application uh, around a provider, and so now all of the children in the tree can now access that provider, or they can access that RESTful API. And inside the API, I set up my data cache and class. And in there, I, I set up my login. So um, it was uh, uh, nice that way. And then one of the things that uh, I found really useful was uh, a code generator that uh, uh, build runner. And uh, so it, it uh, I just ran it manually, but you can set it up to run in the background. And uh, what it does is uh, it detects changes in the class, and then it uh, builds out your your um, uh, from JSON and to JSON, and so that that becomes really powerful because that's a lot of coding. And if you have um, if you have nested if you have nested uh, uh, JSON then it gets even more complex and more time-consuming. So this was a nice feature to have, and I used it, and it runs real well. And uh, so those those two, using the provider and the code generator, were nice additions. And then I got some, uh, I, I put, I loaded the awesome, uh, uh, let's see, I think, I think it's called awesome tips or something like that. But uh, it, what it does is you start in a partial IntelliSense typing and it will fill in a template. It'll code generate a snippet and, uh, and then you can change the snippet templates for, uh, for quite a few different types of objects. I, I did it for stateful and, uh, and uh, stateless widgets and you use those quite a bit. Another thing that I did that was a little different in this project that I learned from the previous project was I started breaking everything up into functions. Um, 
and I like that because then it makes it easier to read your uh, your Dart code, your Flutter code. Uh, it's a Dart language, Flutter environment. So reading your Flutter code, um, and it makes it easier to read, and you don't have just long tags and lots of of, of uh, information that you got to sort through and. And so um, that feature was really nice. And then you can make your modifications in that particular code module. So it's not so distractive. It's more compressed when you're looking at that main scaffolding. And uh, so the widget programming is the future. You can really see it coming in. Uh, state management has been significantly reduced in complexity by using provider don't have to use Redux. Redux is very complicated. Um, you just use the provider and it stores all your state. And then once you have that, you can, uh, you can use practically any library that, that's out there. And there's quite a few that are being built right now. And so my feeling is, is because the widgets are so intuitive, that eventually uh, reinforcement learning will learn how to program a lot of this code and so you can show actually maybe even draw it out on a board what you want to build and then the, the code generator will build the the widgets and it'll build the classes and uh, you could have some sort of IntelliSense that uses metadata to exchange between the code generator and uh, and and so all your restful interactions could be uh, translated from your C sharp into your Dart, and and that's pretty much what I did is just cut and paste. I was a little disappointed that that there isn't a, an easier way to move those classes from from C sharp over and. That's where I'm thinking that if you had some sort of uh, metadata where, you know, it could inspect uh, your RESTful endpoints, figure out all the classes, figure out all the data types for you, um, that that's where the AI really would uh, help in the code, uh, code generation. Because the more you automate, the better off you're going to be. Uh, you're just going to, you know, you can make mistakes when you're, uh, when you're trying to do things manually, you, you could put in the wrong uh, data type, you could get overflow, and, uh, and you know, that's where the stack overflow is really classic, you know, trying to put it, maybe putting a long inside of an int, or, uh, you know, trying to typecast a string to a date, you know, if it doesn't have the right format, then the, and then the parser can't, can't, uh, perform that operation but you know with AI it's it's kind of interesting because you before you would have to have an exact translation now you could have kind of fuzzy areas where let's say you have the date in uh, in an international format and it needs to be converted to a date time that uh, is uh, universal so you're using UTC time and, um, you know, will AI be able to recognize 
which form of the, that the date is in and then convert it to the universal time. You know, uh, dates that are different, European dates uh, go uh, day, month, year, and uh, U.S. dates are year, month, day, or month, day, year. And uh, it could do those translations for you. So those are things that I look for AI to be able to, you know, assist in, in code development. A lot of times what you're doing, even in Flutter, you're doing a lot of busy work here. You're running, uh, you know, you're doing your code generation, you're doing your writing, your streams, your builders, uh, you're getting your restful calls back. And, and you should always use, don't use the future builder, use the uh, list builder and preferably tie it to a stream because one of the things that uh, is interesting about the observable pattern is that every time you resize your widget, it doesn't go out and make a round trip to the server. That's, that's, that can be very expensive in terms of and slow too. Let's say it takes you know a second to you know repopulate the whole page. You know your your rendering times are going to be slower. So use streams. Streams are really better. And then when things really do change, you notify the stream, and then the stream will uh, regather its data from the RESTful API. So streams are, in my mind. Um, um, more sophisticated way of doing things you use uh, business logic blocks code and uh, you know set up your streams and then use the, uh, the observable pattern to do your your updates now everything is running asynchronous so you can have multiple things happening simultaneously so uh, you know don't try to over complicate your restful api's and trying to figure out you know how to put everything into one superstructure. Um, you know, you can do that. It, it's, it's performance is good. Or you can just do it uh, and just say, you know, we don't know everything that's going to be needed. And as we expand in things, we can just add uh, endpoints to get what we need. So there's, you know, you can do it kind of like from uh, a functionality point of view versus just a, a trying to get everything into the payload. Now there might be reasons to you know send everything in the payload because you'd make one call, the server assembles, you know runs all the queries. Maybe maybe it's running 20 or 30 different queries. It runs all the queries, puts all them into one large payload, which I've seen that done before, uh, where it you know it has a lot of the data sitting in the JSON strings. Have lots of objects, lots of collections, lots of data, and uh, and uh, then on the uh, server side, you have lots of microservices that are are running uh, in async, pulling data and building, you know, the building your your final object that you're going to send back to the server from the server to the client. So those are those are some of the things that I've seen uh, in. And for the architecture that we were working in, it, it was nice because it was everything you needed was there. You could, you know, you could see it all packaged up nicely. And then when you were looking inside of uh, Google Inspect and you were looking at the package, you could see if the data that you needed was there.
and uh, if it wasn't, then you went to the microservice and you added the data that you needed to. Uh, usually, in this case, it came in the form of, of the stored procedures. So use the stored procedures to do that work. So, um, yeah, Flutter is pretty good. I, I really liked uh, looking through the documentation so far. I found it was kind of interesting that, that you could you can make uh, uh, a Flutter class or a Dart class. You can make it callable like a uh, anonymous Lambda function, and so you're not making a constructor. You're actually it's actually you're making what they call a callable. So inside of uh, inside the function. Let's say you have something that says uh, A plus B. You can then pass, you can say call, and then the, the function A plus B. And then you can treat that, that class just like uh, a callable function or a lambda function. So in that case, you can then create these complex, like lambda-like syntax that are calling these complex uh, classes and doing lots of code and stuff there. And then your actual syntax, when you're looking at it, looks a lot like lambda functions. And and uh, so from that simplicity, you could have basically all your programs. You know that you're using classes. You don't have to use the dot operator. You can just use lambda-like function calls. So uh, that that was a really cool feature. The other feature that really changed a lot in Flutter is everything became non-nullable. Now that gave me a little bit of heartburn when I first started uh, working because you know I have a lot of stuff that was nullable. But their, their argument is, is nulls are dangerous, so let's make everything non-nullable so everything is uh, discrete and known and typecast and assignable. And then it, for the nullable cases, uh, use the question mark. And then if it's going to be converted from a nullable to a, a non-nullable, use the bang operator. Kind of funny, gonna bang the operator. Uh, so, anyway, that's out of the line. The um, the functionality of Flutter is really pretty amazing, you know, because its syntax is really good. And they're starting; big companies are starting to use Flutter to build and. Uh, uh, Dart to build big applications because the argument for using Dart for cross mobile applications is it's fast. It runs everything, it does all its rendering of its UI uh, in its framework. And so it runs its framework uh, using C, C. So the Flutter code actually operates really quick. It's not going through a bridge. Like React is going through a bridge. Flutter is running native on the framework, so it's much faster. And uh, 
you know, I used Flutter to do some animations and they were nice and smooth. Um, and, you know, in this case, since I was using it on Chrome, it was all JavaScript, but the JavaScript was nice and smooth. Uh, if you're running on the iOS device or Android device, it's running on a, on a C framework, so it's, it's pretty fast. And it's doing all its rendering using C. And so this is something that I had thought about a long time ago when I had a, a group of programmers and we were working with Windows operating system. Is we were like, well, you know, we could build Windows or we could build our own Windows. So we built our own Windows and rendered our own Windows. And we never really thought about it, but you know, that is kind of like the basics of how the uh, Flutter virtual machine works. Is it, it renders its own windows. And because it can render its own windows, it can have its own look and feel. It's not going through, uh, you know, Windows APIs to do the look and feel. It's not going through um, all of the uh, all of the complexity of the iOS and Android. It has its own rendering system, and it's been able to to handle uh, it's handle all of its widgets and behaviors from its own programming view. And so that's what we were thinking back in the 1990s. And now we see that in the 21st century that that's the way uh, things are going is they're moving towards this universal rendering. So, you know, smart move back then. We had limited resources, but we were thinking, you know, we're thinking uh, how to, to make to make our applications very light, small, and fast, and uh, we could go across platforms. We were running on Windows back then, but we were Unix programmers, so we could have. We were thinking about ways to uh, to build our own graphics library, so that had to be. Uh, we had to use some libraries to do that. But most of the most of the stuff we did was in C plus plus and in uh, assembler. And what we found when we went to the assembler level is that the hardware uh, is very specific. And so even though we were getting these really good speeds by you know reducing down our overhead and running things at a macro level, uh, that uh, we we had to find out the proprietary nature of a lot of the hardware that we were working with. And it, you know, you could really see the power of Microsoft in uh, getting the different vendors to agree to a certain standard and making an open API on top of their hardware because uh, it was, you know, the, the drivers and stuff were extremely complex to try to recreate from the assembler side, so that that was uh, that was kind of a flaw. At first, we we wanted to get the assembler speed, but it was a flaw in attempting to do that because of the diversity of hardware that's out there, and we, so you had to have a specific specific type of hardware to run our software, and, and that became a bottleneck. 
because we wanted to be able to run it on all kinds of uh, operating systems and across uh, across uh, uh, different types of machines. And so, you know, when you think about it, that's kind of what uh, Flutter is trying to do is, and with Dart is be able to run across their virtual machine to run across various types of operating systems and hardware um, because you have lots of different hardware out there now. So if you're you're a you know you're building your Flutter applications, you know why why try to reinvent all that? There you know Google's has spent lots of money to uh, ensure those those frameworks uh, behaviors can work properly. So let's just learn how to program the virtual machine, and that's what uh, the widget programming is. is you're defining the abstraction or the behavior, uh, things like tap event, click event, slide event, orientation, position, etc. And uh, those those things then become uh, they are handled by the virtual machine. So Flutter is pretty cool. If you haven't looked at it, uh, definitely do. And uh, you know, look at learn to learn the Dart programming language. It's it's very similar to Java or C sharp. It has generics. You can use generics. It has uh, array list. It has uh, list. It has class. It has inheritance. Um, I didn't try any polymorphism, but I believe it has polymorphism. Yeah, I'm sure it does. It has polymorphism. It has constructors. The way you deal with a, a dark constructor is a little bit different. Uh, you don't initialize the getters and the setters directly. You can override getter and setter. But the way you would do it is through the constructor. So you you would pass parameters into the constructor and then they initialize the class variables. And so that that then uh, ensures that you don't get partial initialization, but you get full initialization of all all of the uh, all of the fields. Because it's very possible you could go in there and add a new field and then forget to put it in your constructor. So you, you let the compiler warn you that you have these extra fields. So I, you know, it's it's interesting how programming is changing because, you know, the the IntelliSense now is kind of aware of syntax rules, and so then you can add things like linder. Um, and they and it will help you with syntax and so the refactoring of your code by machine assistance is where AI is going to really come in handy you know it's going to look at how you coded something out it's going to look how other professionals coded it out and maybe make suggestions on how to improve your coding so maybe you're a junior programmer but there's easier ways to have done things and maybe faster ways um, like today when I was I was doing some programming at, on Python um, I, I was looking at uh, movies by ratings 
and so I, I wanted to see, uh, you know, I used the ratings to figure out a like or dislike based on a rating value. So I said, well, okay, if, it, if they did a rating value of four out of five, I'm going to say that they liked it. So just binary yes or no. And uh, so I wanted to sum those up by category and by uh, well, not, category is gentry, so generate. So, uh, you know, but the generate was all in string concatenated form with a pipe. So I had to break those apart, put them into uh, columns. That's what I did is put them into columns. And, uh, and then uh, put a one or a zero on it and then use that as my filter. And then use uh, those ratings. I wanted to catch uh, the like or dislike, sum those up, and sum them by uh, title. And so I was able to do that and then um, list out the films with uh, high likes based on their ratings. And what I was surprised is I kind of thought some of the movies would be there in that ranking because I'd seen it, uh, other parts where I did popularity and looked at how they had performed and what, what films that they were given there. But when I did this one, it was interesting to see what films were popular, uh, what categories were popular. Definitely drama was uh, number one. People watch movies for the drama. And so, uh, you know, when there's a good drama, you want to watch it. And I was kind of surprised that some of these horror movies thrillers, action movies were so high up there too in their ratings. Not sure why you know, our, our, maybe it's our group that they they like that kind of violence. And I, I just some of the movies I, I had seen and I won't watch again but some of them I saw uh, in the past they were very violent, very scary and yet uh, people seem to like that and surprised that that's things that appeal to their psyche. I personally like films that are uplifting to make you feel good after you and, and also tell an amazing story. You know, an amazing story of hope or, or courage. Um, I like the I like this movie called The Brave World. It's not very popular but it, it was, talks about uh, Pocahontas story and her lineage as a daughter of an Algonquin king who was the largest, most powerful king, uh, uh, or not, maybe wouldn't say king, but chief in America. And at the time that John, uh, I think it's John Cook, came over uh, and his relationship to her. And then his strange career life changes where he had to leave and go explore different parts of the world for the king. Um, and possibly they had decided they didn't want uh, that relationship to occur, so they moved him out somewhere else on military assignment. 
So these are some of the things that were are kind of interesting and uh, uh, in the movie world. It's a big industry. Lots of money is spent in it. A lot of people like going to the movies. I've seen a lot of the movies. Um, saw the one last week uh, with Rock Hudson and um, Elizabeth Taylor and um, oh, what's his name? Uh, oh, James, Jim, uh, Jim, James Dean. And that was a real dramatic movie. Uh, enjoyed that drama there and uh, thought the acting was really good the storyline was good and it kind of told uh, it was kind of like the Hill Hillbillies original story that's what it really was is, uh, cattle ranchers from Texas hit oil and become billionaires And but there's kind of this uh, tension between Jed and I can't remember the other guy's name, but uh, where they he yeah, he had fallen in love with one man's wife, but uh, never could have her. So and then it, it ran a long time. It was a three, I think it was a two or three hour movie, but uh, it uh, shows kind of the wealth of Texas, and there is still a lot of wealth in Texas. The other one I liked a lot was uh, Frank versus God. That was a really good one, and uh, I think we'll, we'll watch that with uh, some friends. But uh, you know, you get a, a great movie, you want to share it with people, and I think that's kind of the American way. Um, I don't think we go to see a movie because you know everyone else has seen it. I know there's some excitement to it, but I think we go because of, uh, you know, like the plot or something that's captivating in the trailer. And I know, I, you know, I watch the trailers before I usually go see a movie. And then sometimes I look at ratings, but they're not always, ratings are not always guaranteed to be uh, an indicator that the movie's going to be really good. Like, I had to watch uh, The Last Jedi again after finding that... Uh, that Ray was a, a Palpatine, and then it kind of made more sense, and then I could see how the Skywalkers kind of bridged the gap. I mean, it's kind of interesting that they would do that because you know that was uh, an enemy. The um, the Sith were the enemy, and yet she was kind of. She was going to be heir to the throne, but she decided not to be because uh, she was a Jedi and all the Jedi for a thousand generations backed her up and she was like the one who would restore balance to the Force, you know. And so, it, you know, where, where Anakin felt uh, his, his posterity through Leia succeeded and Leia Leia becomes a powerful Jedi so there's Luke who's passed on and Leia stays to help Ben Ben redeems himself after murdering his father his father's forgiven him and 
such a different twist on, you know, forgiveness and redemption. <laughs> you know, Ben the kills his father in cold blood to prove to Snook that he's he can uh, he can act without remorse uh, for things that he he loves like his parents. And uh, but Leia, you know, he he spares her, and he's and uh, he's got a soft place in his heart for his mother. Well, it's interesting that they. They move that uh, storyline that way. It's really delicate. I guess you could say that not all hardened killers are without uh, emotion, and that there is possibility for redemption for some of them. Um, but it's still incredible, though, when you think about people who have commit across the line and can do hideous things. Uh, that they can receive that kind of level of forgiveness. I think, you know, it's like some certain things cannot be forgiven, you know, like uh, shedding of innocent blood. I don't think that can be forgiven. But that's just my opinion. I'm glad I'm not the judge. <clears throat> well... So Flutter's been center stage this week. Lots of Flutter. And, uh, you know, one of the things I I noticed is that uh, Google is now building Flutter for Windows applications. So I could see where that uh, once you learn the Flutter app methodology for programming, that... Uh, instead of using Windows API, you could just use Flutter for Windows, and it will then translate the API uh, down into the Windows APIs. You don't need to learn the Windows APIs to have menu structures and uh, click events and list views and icons. It'll all be done inside of a widget methodology. So again, trying to you know capture some of the Windows market, and maybe companies will start to move away from Windows programming and select Flutter to do do all their cross platforms. So then they can run it on Flutter. They can run it on a Mac, uh, and and uh, it becomes the universal programming language and and I really have encouraged Microsoft to build a tool that you can design things with drag and drop because one of the things that I it takes a long time to, to run stuff in Chrome because you have to launch Chrome and it doesn't happen instantaneously there's a lot of transfer files but when you look at Flutter, it has a lot of files, and it's getting more and more as each releases uh, come out. And so, you know, getting Microsoft and Google on board together to so that developers can build applications faster for multiple environments is real critical. You know, I use Visual Studio Code and Visual Studio. I run, I run my Visual Studio. Uh, code because 
Visual Studio does not handle Flutter. Uh, so I can't run a debug mode on uh, in uh, Visual Studio that I'm aware of. I'm, I'm going to have to look into that because if I could run it on Visual Studio, it'd be really nice because then I'd have my user interface and my web API on the same machine and then uh, and also in the same environment. I don't have to have two environments open. But, you know, it's interesting because Visual Studio Code was an open source community project and uh, Flutter was, is open source. And so, you know, these these uh, in, these tools are are transforming the world, and so you know you're you're sitting somewhere in the world listening to this, and you're wondering you know where do you fit? Should I should you learn Flutter? Should you you know make a move for it? Will you find a job in it? And the answer is at this point that yes you should move towards Flutter. Will you find a job in it? Uh, I really believe that as cross-platform becomes more popular that uh, Flutter will uh, overtake Mono Mono or Xamarin and the thing with Xamarin is it is um, never programmed in it, in it but uh, uh, it's not widget based, it's XML based and it does have a drag-and-drop interface so that's nice about it, but it has a lot of underlying complexity uh, that you have to handle in the C-sharp. A lot of stuff with marshalling that's complex to understand. With your threading, you have to uh, make sure your UI threads don't collide with worker threads. And so, you know, there's a lot of, of thread complexity in Xamarin. And you might say that Flutter has somewhat of that same complexity because things are running asynchronously and you don't have any blocking of the threads. Um, but uh, you'll uh, uh, have to look into look into which one you like. So far, I've, I've liked Flutter because you know I, I'm getting predictable results. I uh, haven't had any problems with threading. And if you just do things at the right time and you understand the sequence that the events occur, then things work out fine for you. Well, things to look forward to next week, I think, uh, will be, again, to uh, learn more about Flutter and... Um, uh, work on getting my interface looking good and uh, you know set up some layering one thing that you want to do I think is kind of like the application style where everything is just in one page but you know a lot of times you have these things where you want to isolate things so this the user can only do one thing at a time so Maybe the isolation is, is you select a, an item 
and then it pushes a page and it shows you the details. So you have kind of this push page pushing and popping to see data. So things are layering one thing on top of the other. And uh, that might be uh, a way to go. I think I'm going to try that and see if I can get past the, the UI. The other way is to just have uh, make it real simple. You have a combo box. You select an item in from the combo box. You fill in the information. You press save. You know. Uh, so in other words, you you try to reduce the number of steps. And then as you reduce number of steps, then you create uh, better better predictability. All right, well, until next week, happy Python coding, and uh, uh, I hope you find a, a real good film to watch.